You're listening to Retro Sermons, timeless lessons from the Bible spoken by voices of the past. There will be two 30-minute speeches on the part of each disputant following the same order that has prevailed each evening in this session tonight. The proposition is the same, same one that was used last evening and reads as follows. Such an arrangement and cooperation effort on the part of churches of Christ for the preaching of the gospel as the herald of truth is without scriptural authority. Brother James P. Miller affirms this proposition. Brother G.K. Wallace denies. I'm happy now to present to you Brother James P. Miller, the first affirmative speaker. Thank you, Brother Patton, uh, worthy opponent, gentlemen, moderators, ladies and gentlemen, let me say again tonight that I'm happy to come in defense of what I believe to be the truth of God and to talk to you again about the proposition under discussion tonight. It's this, that such arrangements and cooperative efforts on the part of churches of Christ. Now, let me emphasize that with all the power in my being. We are not talking about arrangement of any local church of Christ on earth. We are talking tonight about cooperative arrangements and cooperative efforts on the part of churches of Christ. And, of course, that immediately activates the church universal, a thing unknown and unheard in the Word of God. There's not a line in God's Word that gives the church universal any right to act. There's only one officer of the universal church, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he's in heaven, and all that he's left us is his Word to be activated by local congregations. So in the very beginning now, our proposition deals with what churches of Christ can do. Then, of course, we're talking about the kind of cooperative effort, the kind of arrangement where churches join together in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just go into the work and answer some of the things that were said in my, by my opponent in his last speech last night. You know, I told you in the very beginning that if I were to affirm this proposition 15 years ago, that these things are without scriptural authority, all in the world that I would do and all in the world that Brother Wallace would do would just be to say they're not in the Word of God and sit down. And that's all we'd have to do. And you know, Brother Wallace, let me tell you something. Oh, I hope you hang your head in shame. A little girl about 13 years old came up to me last night and she said, Brother Mella, she said, I've been keeping the Scripture on both sides of my notebook. And she said, Brother Wallace didn't have a single scripture, didn't introduce a single scripture in two speeches last night. Oh, let me tell you something. I'm affirming a negative, ladies and gentlemen. Let me explain that to you. In order to have an affirmative and negative proposition, I'm affirming a negative, that they're without scriptural authority. It's my opponent's job to establish the scriptural authority. And he came and spoke for a solid hour and didn't introduce a single passage out of the Word of God. Let me tell you something, G.K., we'll stand side by side in judgment one of these days, and I never thought that I'd ever live to hear Wallace that could make two speeches in a debate and not have a single scripture out of God's Word, not one. And when you think about that tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that's just almost overwhelming. If you want to cry, it's enough to cry. If you want to laugh, it's enough to laugh almost at the opposition because there is no scripture in the Word of God. I told you all it has to do is just stand here and say it's not in the Word of God and sit down. It's without scriptural authority. And I believe that all can understand and see. All right, now you remember about argument number one. You remember that we said when they started the Missionary Society, they opened the floodgates to every kind of innovation and aggression and that they did exactly the same thing with the herald of truth. And here's the reason why. Neither one of these things have any Bible authority in the Word of God. And when you establish a national policy that it's no longer necessary to have scriptural authority, you open the floodgate for every kind of innovation and aggression. I hold in my hand tonight a book published by Brother Tom O'Neill and Brother Blue where they have photostatted the copies of every kind of innovation that is known almost upon the earth today to the Christian church with its counterpart in the Church of Christ. Benevolent institutions, church camps, workshops, church-supported hospitals, youth rallies, banquets, educational buildings, educational directors, Easter, ball teams, Christmas, Boy Scouts, anti 
calling us anti-exactly as the Christian church did a few years ago. Fellowship halls, kitchens, paddles. And yet, Brother Wallace, the position in which you're in tonight won't let you oppose anything but your brethren that want to stand for the truth. I never thought I'd live to hear you come up here and say, Oh, well, a song leader is just a minister of music. Well, that's the language of Ashdod, the very least it could be. If we were to grant that that was true, you speak in Nehemiah's language of Ashdod. You have a minister of music and a minister of education, a minister of youth activity, and a minister of our superintendent of the Sunday school, and you create office after office unknown to the Word of God. And then say, well, you've got the same thing, you just call them something else. Well, it'd be the language of ass dot at the very least possible excuse. And oh, when you think about it, ladies and gentlemen, they've introduced all of these tonight. Now he said, some of all in the past practice some of these things. Well, we don't deny that. The church at Corinth made mistakes. But you'll remember that in Paul, when he wrote in the second letter in the seventh chapter, when they had repented and done what they could to make it right, he said, oh, what a clearing of yourselves. So it's not a question of whether this church has practiced things that are wrong in the past. We freely admit that. But I'll tell you, old buddy, we've got the scripture for what we do. When you come along and make two 30-minute speeches and don't introduce a single passage of Scripture, not one line out of the Word of God, I'd rather have changed a thousand times and be right tonight to be found where I couldn't introduce one single passage from God Almighty's Word. But now you let me talk to you just a minute. You know he talks about, oh, how we used to stand together, how we used to work together, how to hear him tell it almost for centuries we've been side by side. Bobby, here goes your last sheet. I'm going to make me chart right here tonight. This is the last one you're going to have to give us. Why, you talk about how long these old paths last, how long we've been walking in these old paths. Let me show you something, buddy. I'm not much of a chart maker, but let me show you something. In 1951, the Herald of Truth began. We haven't been walking down that old path too long, old friend. You didn't start it. Till just 14 years ago, and you never did walk down it with me. You never have read a word where I've ever written that said I thought it was all right. But all to hear you tell it, you just think we've been walking down these old paths from the days of the apostles. Let me tell you something now. This old path runs out. You can't even find it. The weeds and bushes get in just 14 years. And you haven't even much as got a footpath. You haven't even got as much a path that a red bone hound could find his way on because there's not a thing in all of God's Word that even looks like it. And yet to hear you tell it, we've been walking down all these years together. When did the trouble start, Brother Wallace? Did we have any trouble over the Herald of Truth before it started? Or did the trouble start after it was started? Who caused the trouble, the man who started it or the man who opposed it? What do you tell the digressives when you preach to them? Who caused the trouble over the missionary society? The man who started it or the man who said that he didn't believe it is in the Word of God? Who caused the trouble over the instrument of music? Was it the man that put it in or the man that said, let's just sing like the Word of God? No, we haven't been going down that path so long. So as a matter of fact, some of us never have been on that path. No use come up here and say, oh, we've been walking down this road together. This church, as far as I know, never did give a nickel to it. And if we did, we're sorry and apologize and ask forgiveness. But I don't think we ever did walk down that path, not as far as I know. All right, now look again. Oh, he said, we've been walking down this path together. Well, let's just put another little path up here. In 1908 or 9, I'll give you credit for either one. They started the first nearly 6,000 years being too late to be in the mind of God. So when you hear people talk about, oh, we've been doing these things all these years, and we've been walking along, oh, we haven't been walking long enough for things to even get full grown. And it took these modern promoters to even get these things off the ground. There wasn't enough orphans home to the brotherhood, and they didn't ask for enough money that it even became an issue. 
Here you promotional boys begin to breathe these big dreams and plan these big schemes and begin to use the language of Ashdod and say that Dr. So-and-so is going to go over so-and-so and hold that campaign for Christ. Let me tell you something. When a physician calls himself doctor, that's his occupation. When a gospel preacher calls himself doctor, that's his rank. Jesus said, it shall not be so with you. He that be the greatest among you, let him be your servant. So we haven't been on this old path so long together. This is every bit new where you're dividing the church over something that didn't start till 1908 as far as the institution was concerned. It didn't start till 1951 as far as history is concerned. Then he talks about who's changed and who's made changes. Why, Brother Wallace has changed on everything germane to this debate. Why, you remember that in the firm foundation on December the 13th, 1949, he said there is a parallel between the orphan's home, which is under board of trustees, other than the elders of the church, to do the work of the church and the United Christian Missionary Society. Which ones we're talking about, Brother Wallace? Will you tell us, if I leave the card right out here, which ones were like the United Christian Missionary Society? You said some were like it. You won't tell us which one you had in mind? Or are you going to tell us we don't understand any of it and it's all ridiculous and just let it go with that? Which way you want to go on it? I know you read what Jim Cope said about it. I want to know what G.K. Wallace says about it. Which ones were parallel to the Missionary Society then? And if they were parallel to the Missionary Society then, why aren't they parallel to it now? That's the question. All right, he's changed on the Missionary Society. Now, I don't prove a thing in the world. I'm ashamed to introduce it. But if he's going to speak another hour and not have a verse of scripture, not one, well, I'll just meet him on his own ground. All right, now listen, in the firm foundation, January the 24th, 1950, he said it is a fact generally known that I am not in favor of supporting a college out of the church treasury. It is my opinion that the work of the church should be done by the church. And if the church work is done, it is not the work of the church, then the church should stay out of it. Now that's what you said on the college question. Have you changed on that? Do you think these people are complete ignoramuses? Do you believe these people have got little enough sense that I can read that and then you come up here and play like it's the same position? What if Jim Cope has changed? What if Homer Haley has changed? You do us too much credit, old friend. From the tip of Norway to the very end of South Africa, where five sound missionaries work today upon the continents of earth and islands of the sea, there are hundreds of congregations standing for the truth. He said, it's every bit my fault and Homer Haley's and Jim Copes. And Tom Butler's so mad that you left him out that he's going to whoop you when this is over. <laughs> Boy, we're stretching ourselves. Five men today working in South Africa believing in the all-sufficient church. Just something we started. You're going to have to beat that. You're going to have to do better now. You believe in man the caliber CL over turf led this prayer to believe anything that Jim Cope or Homer Haley James P. Miller said if we couldn't find it in the Word of God, what do you say? You believe a man like Marshall, Marshall Patton, H.G. E. Phillips here just follow us because we say where do you stand on the college question now, Brother Wallace? These Florida brethren do not believe in putting the college in the budget, and God bless you, brethren. You stand there. We'll get you all the way home one of these days. We're not so far apart. You don't want anything to do with these banquet halls. They're just a few of the liberal churches in Florida that are leading the movement in this. They had a Church of Christ track meet down in Miami, Central and Hialeah, churches like that leading the way. You get out here in these old orange groves and on these side roads and in these little towns, these brethren don't believe in supporting the college. Oh, you've got San Jose in Jacksonville that'll do anything, and Riverside that'll hold big youth rallies. It's all documented in here. If you want to give Brother O'Neill a 50 cent for it. Where do you stand tonight on the college question? You see, Kenneth, you've got things in a mess, and I hope you, but now you really realize what a fix you got. All right, now let me go ahead. He's even changed on how he proves whether a thing is right or not. He's not only changed on the orphan's home question and on the college question, but he's changed on how he proves it. And then that's everything that's germane to this debate. 
I am reading now the Gospel Guardian, May the 24th, 1951, on the front page. He said a great deal has been written in these days about the orphan's home, how they should operate. The appeal has largely been to tradition. Catholic priests say that tradition is equal in authority of the Word of God. Many of my brethren today are much like a Catholic priest. The priest tries to prove his point by tradition and without reference to the Word of God. It sounds like you've joined him, boy. If you haven't joined him, why, you've changed on everything that's germane under this whole proposition. All right, now, quickly, let's get down to the Word. He says that on my chart where I gave two conditions necessary to giving and receiving, I want to call your attention to them now. He said, why, this hasn't got a thing to do with it. It's just ridiculous. Boy, there's something ridiculous, all right. But it's not this chart. Bless your heart, there two conditions are a requirement that always have to be met. Always have to be met before one group of brethren can send to another. And that is, if the brethren who receive the assistance, they must be in need, and this not of their own backing. Then he comes up to Romans 15, says, well, that says that if you've been partakers of their spiritual things, well, then you ought to share with them your physical things. And said, don't use that. Don't ever use that. Well, I believe they can send the preacher. Acts 15. You little girl, write her down on my side of the notebook, will you? <laughs> I believe that they can send to a preacher. Philippians 4, 15 and 16. I believe that one congregation can send another if it's in need. Acts 11. 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9. Now, have you got any scripture to offer? Are you going to get up here and read where somebody said something about something way back yonder when they, when they made a mistake? Now, look at the second reason. He said the brethren who do the sending must send the assistance where there, that there may be equality. In other words, the brethren who do the sending must send it that there may be equality. Oh, did you hear what he said about that last night? I tell you, G.K., I don't believe you want that to go in the book. Surely you don't. He said that equality is between the ones who do the taking it up. You know, he couldn't find, he could find the church in everything the first two nights, and now he can't find the church at all. It's all the individual now. Well, now let's just read it and see. Not only do you go against the scholarship of the world, I could bring every scholar on the face of the earth here, but don't have to do that. I've got Paul, and i got my own good boy, so I'll just read it now. Paul said in uh, the second chapter of 2 Corinthians 8, beginning with verse 13, But I mean not that others should be eased, and ye burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance, now that Corinth, may be a supply to their, the poor saints in Jerusalem's want that their abundance may also be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. Now, here's the thing. Just look now. He said, by equality, I mean not at this time, that your abundance may be a supply for their want, your abundance for their want, but that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. Now, you come on back and say, well, that's just the fellow's taking it up. One fellow millionaire, he gives a half a million. Well, I'm sitting there with just 35 cents in my pocket, and I give a quarter, and we still haven't got any equality. Now, you talk about having to measure all this thing. The Bible said you can't measure these individuals. Let every man give as he's purposed in his heart. But you can measure a congregation when it has people in it who are in need. That's why you couldn't give a nickel to you boys at Highland to save your life. You've got a budget of your own. Between a quarter and a half a million dollars, you're not in need. Of course, you don't do much paying for the herald of truth, but you've got it going in every direction underneath the shining sun of heaven, going here and going there and coming here and coming there, and the dollars beating each other, going and coming. One dollar say to the other, you on your way to Broadway today. Yeah, well, I met you, didn't I, going on your way back up to Houston. Yeah, but I'm going the other way today. We're swapping now. 
Highland's not in need. The only thing Highland needs to do is come back to the Word of God and take a stand on it and say, here it is, and here's the verse that proves it. That's what Highland needs to do. God bless your heart. The very minute you'd come back and the very minute you'd give these things up, we'd have unity. There wouldn't be anything to fight over. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 and 6, who makes you to differ from another? Why, of course, they had spiritual blessings received, and they sent physical blessings back because the Jews had given them the gospel. The Gentiles sent back that there may be equality. Anyone know why we didn't build Charles Bland as good a house as we've got here? We didn't build him anything. We sent the money to him, just like Paul said in Philippians 4, 15 and 16. Then he said, but oh, he said, if you send it like that, you're going to make an apostle out of it. Boy, I'm telling you something right now. That takes the cake. When you follow an apostolic example, you become an apostle. Well, if that's so, G.K., you're the wrong kind. Because the church in Revelations 2 at Ephesus tried them that were apostles and said they were apostles and were not. And you know what it proved? Did you know the Lord took care of that? Look at the fourth chapter of Philippians with you, man. Talk about if a man follows the example of an apostle, he becomes an apostle. Make an apostle out of these little boys all over the country. I'm going to tell you little boys what you better do. You better follow the example of the apostles. If you never do anything else in your life, you better follow just exactly the example and the pattern set for you by the apostles. Because in so doing, you'll be on safe ground. You look at Philippians 4 and verse 9. The Lord put it there. I maybe just for this debate. I don't know. Paul said in these things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do that you may all be apostles. Is that the way it reads? Is that the way it reads? Oh, let me tell you something. He said the things which ye have learned and have received and have heard and have seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you. And then he said, oh, well, you send this money to this little boy over here, and you make him an apostle. No, you just get the money where we want it to go, that's all. Church still has to hire him. Church can still fire him. The brethren can still tell him when to preach. They can't tell him what. That's something else you boys need to learn down there. Paul wrote to Timothy, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge you quick in the dead at his coming and his kingdom. Preach the word. There cannot anybody tell a preacher what to preach. Now, you can tell him whether to preach or not, but you can't do that because your preachers on the herald of truth were there before you ever got the program. You didn't hire them. It started out of the church. It didn't start in the church. Because the Lord wants to send the money directly to the fellow that's going to get it, you say that's going to make him an apostle. I'll tell you what, if I were you, if I was confused as you are in the shape you in, I'd just come up here and say, brethren, I've made a mess of this whole thing, and I want to stand up and admit it. Paul said, what you've seen and heard in me do. Well, he said, they'll make you a puzzle. No, the Lord always works to the shortest point. He never takes roundups. You remember when we used to shoot dinks, G.K.? We used to take roundups, you remember? No, the Lord never takes roundups. If he wants the money to go to the preacher, he said, send it to the preacher. If there's a girl in the congregation who needs some dental work, Fill her teeth. That no you started dental college. If there's somebody in the congregation that needs a hospital bill paid, pay it. That's no use to start more brethren going to medical school. What about these hospitals you've got in operation all over the country? What about that? All right, now he said you have to measure. Well, we can measure Highland all right. We can tell that Highland's not in need. No difficulty about that. Then he said, oh, you announced the, about Florida Christian. Florida College in the reminder. Well, you know, we don't mail that reminder out. Just a few copies some individuals may mail. We haven't even got a mailing permit. You call it a meddler. I think you're meddling with it if you want to know the truth. We announced this debate in the reminder. Does that mean we endorse Kenneth Franklin and Florida Avenue Church or we advertising them? We do that for the benefit of our own members. Then he said, oh, he said, you've got to catch him. Now, he knew that wasn't so. He just must have been desperate. We got a sink back here where Gus, the janitor, sometimes wrenches out the baptismal clothes. 
We've got a place where we'll marsh out to mop. Would that be mop still? <laughs> we haven't got any dishes. We don't have any stove. We don't have any refrigerator. Haven't got any bathtub. Oh, you missed it on the bathtub, and I missed it on those buns. It was David Lipscomb that bought those buns. So you go back and tell your brethren that freed Hardeman that there's no money coming, that Lipscomb's the one that bought them. So we're even on that. You missed it on the bathtub, and I missed it on the buns. All right, now, he says, oh, but he said, when you give this money, if anybody loses the autonomy, it's the church that receives it. And then he likens that to the federal government. Boy, you ought to tell that to Johnson. Man, alive, let me tell you something. You found out something nobody ever knew before. That the fellow who gets the money loses his autonomy. I'm willing to lose a little bit of mine. Anybody wants to try it long that way. Why, bless your heart, these states pour into the federal government dollar after dollar after dollar after dollar, and the federal government gets the money. And just exactly as you said, it exercises jurisdiction over the states. States' rights almost a thing of the past. And congregational rights are going to be a thing of the past unless you brethren stand up for what you know is right and take the sword in your hand and tell this centralized cooperation and these mighty movements among us and these human institutions that are going to bow the neck of the church of a living God bought by the blood of the Son of God until it drains every drop of blood out and makes us exactly like a Christian church. Don't you come around whining about the government to me. And then go along with these boys on this centralization of authority, which is exactly parallel to what we have in our government today. All right, now quickly let me hurry on. Why you talk about things of this kind and how it's done? Let me show you now tonight. Just exactly what is wrong with some of these things. On chart number 13, I want to draw for you a parallel between the Missionary Society and centralized cooperation. I want to show you tonight exactly why they stand or fall together. In the very beginning of the chart here, you see how the church can act and how it acted with the days of the New Testament. Here you have members acting. They went everywhere preaching the word. In the chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 4, in 2 Timothy 2 and 2, Paul said, The things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit on the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Then you have the entire congregation act. They sent directly to the preacher. You know how they did it any other way? Don't you worry about making them apostles. Just find where they ever did it any other way. That's what you need to do. And then, of course, they sent directly to the brethren in need. But look at his system here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. His system tonight called for the church to make contributions into the missionary society up here to parallel it and then send the preachers to the lost. Now, it's exactly the same thing with your benevolent society. You could put the herald of truth in here and you'd have exactly the same thing. You have many churches contributing into one church. Well, I know that the Highland Church is not a missionary society. It's just a one-mile congregation that's organized and doing the work of the missionary society. Now, you say and keep saying that I don't understand it. Well, suppose we change it from the United Christian Missionary Society with all of these different functions today and just make it the American Christian Missionary Society like it was started. Well, don't you see here, ladies and gentlemen, many churches contribute into the one fund of the missionary society and then they in turn preach the law. That's exactly what's done with the Herald of Truth. Many churches contribute into the one church, that's the Highland Church, and then they in turn preach the law. While of the New Testament members acted and churches acted, and they acted directly in their action, in exactly the same way, members acted and the brethren acted in benevolence as a contribution was made directly to the program, while here you have many churches giving to the human institution and in turn doing the work of the church. All right, now quickly in the very last minute, let me show you tonight why the church, why the missionary society, and why the church of Jesus Christ cannot operate in that way. You remember that we pointed out on this chart the similarity between the missionary society. We'll have to lift this. Can you hang it back up? The similarity between the missionary society is it is established in Highland 
and the difference in a local church function and arrangement. And then again, you remember that we showed that it's the Highland Church. They had every qualification for the full and free exercise of what is called a missionary society. And today with the Broadway Church in Lubbock, Texas, is for an example, in the Highland Church in Abilene, in the Central Church in Houston, they're sending the money here and there and yonder. The money meets itself going and coming. You can't tell when the dollar leaves which way it's going. The congregations are making contributions to each other. And as a result of that, one is receiving, one is giving, one is giving, and one is receiving. It's just like a whole bunch of women when they go out and eat lunch together. Have you ever seen a bunch of women try to decide who owes what on the bill after about six of them have eaten lunch together? Well, now here's you a penny. No, honey, you take it back. No, honey, now here's you a dime. Now I owe you another dime. Well, I can't see that. They don't know themselves which way their money is going. They have every type and every kind of effort in which they have no direction. Now, you listen very kindly to what my opponent has to say. We're so happy tonight that the building is cool and that you're more comfortable. Brother Miller, moderators, brethren, and friends, appear before you to make a response to the speech that you have heard. I want to say this, that I regard Brother Miller as a very able polemic. I think you have heard as good a speech as could be made in defense of what he believes. And I doubt if anybody could do any better. So when you have heard it, you have heard about the best that could be produced. His first argument was in the assumption that the herald of truth, that type of cooperation, opened the floodgates. He put some dates up there, 1950, I believe it was, Brother Miller. But Brother Miller, the Seminole Church started that, that very cooperation, 1946. If the floodgates were open, they were opened by the Seminole Avenue Church and the E.R. Harper meeting. That's when the floodgates were open. You opened them. Now, that doesn't mean that you, brethren, endorse a lot of the things that he talks about. And he knows that. He knows that, that he's making an assumption. But this type of cooperation was practiced by Brother Miller himself in 1950, I believe, was the date when his debate with Riley in Mayfield, Kentucky. But in 1946... He opened the floodgate by writing and begging the churches to put the orphans home in the budget. That was his very plea. If the floodgates were open, Brother Miller, you opened them. If the floodgates were open by this type of cooperation, it was opened by Brother Homer Haley when he was minister of the Highland Church because that was the type of cooperation that they set up to support this Indian preacher and ask all the congregations to send money to it, and which I documented last night and named many of the congregations that supported it. If this type of cooperation is opening the floodgates, it was opened by men like N.B. Hardeman in the meetings back in 1924 in Nashville, Tennessee. If this is opening the floodgates, this type of cooperation, the Nebraska Avenue sets the pattern because Nebraska Avenue for a long time sponsored the work in Cuba and up until just a few years ago, the Seminole Church sent regularly to the Nebraska Avenue Church and the Nebraska Avenue Church sent money to Cuba. That's what we talk about in the Herald of Truth. Why, well, he said, Brother Wallace, you didn't produce any scripture. I didn't know you had to cite scripture for preaching the gospel. I thought Brother Miller knew that young people, the Great Commission is my authority to preach the gospel. 
There isn't anything at the Highland Church but a church preaching the gospel of Christ on the radio and on the TV. That's what's involved, a matter of preaching the gospel. He said, well, we, we did it, but we're sorry for it, but you opened the floodgates. And then he said, well, we don't have a kitchen back here. Well, you've got some sinks, and you've got a place to clean up things and do things, and you go back there and look at it and see what you think it is. You can call it what you want to, but when you look at it, Ask yourself where in the New Testament church ever had an arrangement like that. Where Paul ever fixed one, Peter ever prepared one. Where is a New Testament passage that authorized it and an example for it? That's the point that's involved. Then he keeps worrying about the college question, which is not a part of this question. And he quotes from me in the firm foundation. Brother Miller, I have never gone out and asked congregations to put the college in the budget. I know that there are congregations that send the Freed Hardeman College for foreign students. They send to the student. The money is held for the student to help him to go to school. And it's for that special purpose and held for it. Just exactly like for the Christian college. Is done from time to time. Well, the next thing he mentioned about Brother Tom O'Neill's book. I looked it over. I wish you'd get it and look at it. And uh, some things about it that kind of made me wonder what uh, Brother O'Neill had really been thinking about because of the fact that. Uh, he didn't put Seminole Avenue Church right along beside it and what Seminole was doing. And I noticed some of them in Christian churches and even some of the other churches are some of those catcher-side churches where he used to have the position that Brother Miller has and completely quit it and took up for something else. But why didn't he put these things here in that tooth out of the treasury? The Seminole Church uses money to sponsor church picnics. Let him put this in. In the Seminole Church of Christ Bulletin, September 30, 1960, this statement found over 100 gathered in Lowry Park for a wonderful time. We want our teachers to know that we appreciate all they do to make the church the pillar and the ground of the truth. Pish, hush, puppies, hush your mouth. Sort of the way to describe the wonderful time and food at the fish fry for the teachers Saturday night, October the 1st. That's the Seminole Avenue Church. Put that in your bulletin. Out of the treasury, they take money to spend to advertise weddings. Take sanctified dollars for secular purpose on November the 2nd, 1963. They were advertising a shower, and this was published on their uh, money. That wherever they mailed it or carried it and give it to you, they paid for the publication out of their treasury. And then he worried a good deal about the statement I had about Florida Christian College lectures. And he said, well, we, we uh, he said, uh, because we announced the debate, that doesn't mean we approve Kenneth Franklin. Does that mean you disapprove Florida College, or do you approve it? Tell us which you do. Now, out of the budget of the Seminole Church, they make contributions directly to under other congregations. In spite of the fact he affirms it has to be done to the preacher, in the reminder, January 1964, Brother Miller says, the church here would provide four small congregations with means the coming year. They're doing this for the church. The Seminole Avenue Church out of its treasure makes direct contributions to the church in Houston, Mississippi. It will be noted, Brother Miller says, that by helping Brother Brand, we have made it possible for the church there to use 186.58 last month for other purposes. 
This will make it possible for them to go ahead with their plans for a new building. They would not have been able to do this without our support. The Seminole Avenue congregation made contributions directly to the Tennessee Orphans Home in October the 1st, 1952. Brother L.C. Gilmer Treasure reported 3817 has been sent to the Tennessee Orphans Home. Several years ago, this congregation took a lady, a Mary Balkum, and her children and put them in the orphan's home at Mount Dora. The Seminole Avenue Church practices the doctrine of eating in the church while they condemn others for eating in the church, advertising his vacation school. Brother, Bible school, Brother Miller says, since some of the children are small, however, and will have to stay two hours, we will need to have something by way of refreshments. This will be kept at a minimum, but we'll call for several helpers. You can send a little, just don't send much. The Seminole Church, along with Brother Miller, teaches that benevolence is the work of the individual. But, he says, the church here carries on a program of benevolence for the needy brethren all of the time. The Seminole Church believes in putting the church in business. Tribute should be paid, however, to the Lake Wire congregation that loaned the church $15,000 when we needed it badly. The reminder, January 5, 1964. He believes in putting the church in business. The Seminole Church planned a picnic for an ungodly children's home. The Seminole Bulletin, the reminder says, by the time this is read, the picnic for the children at the home will be history. Sister Buddy Meyer, together with Buddy and a host of others, shared in the working and the fun. Brother and Sister Garrett were among those present. It was Lois' birthday. We're thankful for the families like Buddy and Lorraine and their children. Here we see him taking money from the treasure to advertise a picnic and to have one for an ungodly children's home. The Seminole Church believes in sending directly to other congregations, not just to the preacher. As announced, Seventy-five copies of the songbook we are using have been sent to Brother Bland and the church. And the church. Now, this is Brother Miller talking. This is what he said. In the reminder, April 26, 1964, that were sent to the church in Houston, Mississippi. One hundred also have been given to the church at Palm River, and the rest will be offered to the Brethren 32nd Avenue. Now, let me look at these charts that he has here. One other thing that I want to mention, I think that covers about everything that he says. He's talking about doctor, 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 so-and-so. I don't care to argue that with him. We don't carry on with that kind of business among us. Maybe there are some that do, but I can hardly pick up the papers in Tampa that it isn't Dr. Cope, Dr. Cope. Dr. Cope, you just look at them and see. Let them straighten that out. Let me have your charts in the order that you use them, please, if you will. I've already answered this. Before this date, the Seminole Church opened the floodgate. 1946, they're the ones that opened it. I think before this, you opened it in Mayfield, Kentucky. And in 1946, Brother Miller, you begged churches to put the college in the budget. Let's have the next chart, would you please, that you use. Somebody stay up here and help him. Don't waste my time and get the charts here as they were presented. And you'll see what we have in regard to this. Now. We're right back where we started. I told you that he takes an example of Christian liberty and makes it a fighting example, but he doesn't practice it. When they did benevolence, instead of sending it to the elders of the church, they sent it to a family, to the Wilkes family, I believe, instead of sending it to the elders of the Hyde Park Church. In Romans 15, 25 and 29, the passage that I to which I called your attention last night is a passage that says, 
that for it hath been the good pleasure of the of, of Macedonian Achaia to make a certain contribution to the poor among the saints that are in Jerusalem. Now here's the desire. Yea, it hath been their good pleasure and their debtors they are. Would not simply, although the design was not simply to feed their hungry bodies, but there they were debtors. Why? Because for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, they owe it to them to minister carnal things. It's both the physical and the spiritual. And he says a church can help the church only in the physical. Now, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 8, 14, just wait just a minute here. This wonderful passage teaches that as there was the readiness to will, so there may be the completion also out of your ability. I didn't say it was between the people that took it up, between the people that gave it. The equality between the givers, that there may be equality. It's acceptable according as a man hath not, according as he hath not. For I say not this, that others may be eased and ye distressed, but by equality. That you being, uh, your abundance being a supply this present time for their want, that their abundance also may be, be it become a supply for your want, that there may be equality. The reciprocity of this is found down here in verse 12 for the ministration of this is in the verse uh, Chapter 9, verse 12, the ministration of this service not only filleth up to measure the wants of the saints, but aboundeth also through many thanksgiving unto God. There's the reciprocity. Paul was not teaching that you give to a church to make that church equal to that this church. If so, why on earth did the Lakeland church lend this church money? Why didn't it give it enough money to make it equal to the Lakeland church? Why doesn't this church give the church of Houston enough of money to make it equal to the Houston church? Here, you have equality when each has given as he is able. Let me have your next chart, will you please? Here is a chart about Broadway and Lubbock and about contributions. He says they're going in every direction. Well, if I understand, the meeting that you held over in Murray, they came from every direction. He went over here and he begged brethren from every direction. But bless your heart, they didn't send it to the church. They bypassed the church and it feels the force of it. This doctrine destroys the church. He does not believe in the supremacy of the church or sufficiency of the church, but the supremacy of the preacher. Take the preacher and say that you're the one. Here's the argument I made about Paul as an apostle. Paul was over churches. He was an authority. Authority from God. Christ to the apostles. And then he transferred to elders, but these brethren cut out the elders. Exalt the preacher. That's all involved in that. Let's have your next chart, please. <clears throat> now, here's a church preaching. Well, that's all the Highland Church does is preach. He said, well, the Highland Church is a missionary society. Well, the church is a missionary society. That's what it is. But it's not like the Association of Churches of the Christian Church. I told you he didn't understand that. And he said, I preached 15 years and hadn't caught on. Still hasn't caught on. There isn't anything there but a church. I preached for the Highland Church when they met in a basement. I was the first guest speaker on the Herald of Truth. And there's no difference in that church now and then except in size. Just helping them to preach the gospel of Christ. So all the world is involved in it. And then he got back off on the benevolence question. I've never seen a man as dissatisfied with his work. For two nights we debated the benevolent question, but it haunts him eternally and everlastingly. That's about all I need to say about that. Is that all the charts that you used? Hang up, please. My chart number two. I want to show you some things about what these brethren are doing. 
brethren and friends, every argument that he makes, he takes an example of Christian liberty and makes it into a divine law. There are two kinds of examples. To him, there's just one kind. Just one kind. They're all examples, regardless of what they are, are binding. Now, look at this. Here are examples. They're illustrations that illustrate liberty. There are examples that illustrate a law. And I showed you over and over that for an example to be buying it must illustrate a requirement. Now Acts 20 and 7 is a binding example because it illustrates a requirement. We said last night, Brother Wallace, you're a professor of hermeneutics. What about your unleavened bread? Well, unleavened bread is ordered. Here's a requirement. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it was unlawful for them to even have leaven in the place or about it. And Jesus took bread, the bread like he had in his hand, and said, Eat! And Paul said, I received of the Lord that which I gave to you. You have an order for unleavened bread. You don't know. You can't turn when the disciples met when they had the Lord's Supper, from the example it just says they ate. And you wouldn't know what kind of bread they had except Jesus ordered that they eat that kind of bread. The kind they had. And just like he did with the juice, the grape juice, this is the fruit of the vine. The fruit of the vine is required. The unleavened bread is a requirement. Now look, brethren. These brethren, five brethren, all try to take examples of Christian liberty and make them into divine laws. There is no requirement that says you have to send the money directly to the preacher. I didn't say it would be wrong. You don't have to send money over to house. That's your liberty. You don't even have to have a local preacher. That's your liberty. You have to have the Lord's Supper. You have to use the bread that he ordained and the fruit of the vine. Every argument that he makes in regard to his so-called pattern is to take the examples of Christian liberty and make them examples of divine law. Now, where's the law, Brother Miller? Where is the law? I said you send it directly. You've made it a law. Yes, that if the church doesn't do it, it's not a New Testament church. And you said he must send it to the preacher. That's the reason I say that you're exalting the preacher. You don't teach the all-sufficiency of the church, but the all-supremacy of the preacher. The all-supremacy of the preacher. <coughs> Acts 27 is an illustration of a divine requirement. The reason Acts 8 and 38 is a binding, or the baptism of the eunuch is a binding example when you see Philip baptizing the eunuch because there is a law that requires baptism. John 3 and 5 requires water. When I see that, I know that's an example of the law. There's no law that requires sending it to the preacher. There's no law which requires sending it directly to the elders, if so. You'll have to make another apology. Every time you get up, you make one. Make another one! Because that isn't the way you practice it. Neither do you sell everything you have. This early church sold all their possessions and laid them at the apostles' feet. Them an old church doesn't do that. Doesn't mean you're not a New Testament church. The only example you find of the place where the disciples met to break bread 
Why, it's in the upper story, the third story. Why isn't that a binding example? There's no law requiring you to meet in the upper story and third story. It'd be all right if you want to, but there's no law requiring it. There is a law requiring us to meet on the first day of the week. I showed you that an assembly is required, that the first day of the week is required. I gave an order, order, for you to meet on the first day of the week. God's people are ordered and demanded and required to meet on the first day of the week. In this assembly, five times he placed the Lord's Supper, but he said, Brother Wallace, I find they had spiritual gifts in that assembly. And Brother Miller Paul taught they ceased. He taught that supernatural gifts ceased at the close of the apostolic age. He didn't teach the Lord's Supper ceased. It's still here. And may God have mercy upon us today when we go out and tell people there's no law requiring people to meet upon the first day of the week. Acts 20 and 7, the purpose clause shows that these brethren understood that they were required to meet upon the first day of the week to break bread when we came together upon the first day day of the week to break bread. That's the purpose of their coming. They've been ordered to meet on the first day of the week. If there's no requirement to meet on the first day of the week, then the man that stays away doesn't disobey anything. If there's no requirement to meet on the first day of the week, then the man that comes doesn't obey anything. A bunch of brethren over the country today say, you can have the Lord's Supper anytime you want to, and this doctrine cost it. That's where it started. We didn't have it till the brethren began to preach that there were no regulations concerning the meeting of the saints of God to worship on the first day of the week. Now, what do they do? Brother Miller's first mistake is, and he makes it every time, he takes examples of Christian liberty and makes them define requirement. He doesn't understand the functions of the United Christian Missionary Society. That's an organization, the convention meets they have a convention and they join it. Churches join the association. They lose their autonomy by going to this association. It's comparable to the federal government. When you elect the senator from the state of Florida and a representative or a congressman, you send them to Washington, they're seated then they're empowered to act for you, and when they act, they bind you. Christian churches don't have elected delegates like the Baptists, but when they're seated, they say you're seated with that same moral obligation. That when the church sends a delegate there, the administrative body of that association of churches becomes the governing body of that people. All the world you have at Highland is a church. What he's fighting is a church. He's fighting a New Testament church. He's fighting a church that's preaching the gospel on the radio. He's fighting a church that's preaching the gospel by TV. He's fighting a church for making tapes like you're making them here tonight and sending them to radio stations all over the country. He's fighting other churches from by helping those that congregation to get these tapes on the air and to preach. There's never been anything out there but a church and its authority is the Great Commission to go preach the gospel to every creature. Go preach the gospel to every creature. Brother Miller makes these egregious errors. He doesn't understand. He admits that he doesn't. The nature and the functions of the Christian church. He tries to 
wish that all home congregations that are working together just like you worked together here in 1946. Just like he worked together in Mayfield, Kentucky with the churches over there. He doesn't understand the difference between an example that illustrates a law and one that illustrates a liberty. Every argument he makes is on a misuse of these things. It grieves my heart. And I said we stood together. We once walked together. He preached just like I'm preaching now. The floodgates were not open when he preached that way. This church stood just exactly like the Florida Avenue Church stands today. The floodgates were not open. Back then, in other words, the Florida Avenue Church stands exactly now like this church stood a few years ago. This church wasn't opening the floodgates. That's an assumption. And I marvel at the type of an argument of that kind. And now may the good Lord bless you. You listen very patiently. This will be Brother Miller's last speech. And then I'll have a few words to say to you. We'll go our way.